Hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay on NRM Streamcast. This week's show off with one of the greatest instrumental units to ever walk the earth. One of the greatest house bands of all time. And a band that really just wrote the book on the funky soul instrumental. Booker T and the MGs. The Mount Rushmore of bands, really. The Mount Rushmore of soul bands. And when you've got a band, a quartet... That world-class badass, it's hard not to stand back and just marvel at it for just the sheer awesomeness of it all. 
And uh, at the heart of it, of course, Booker T. Jones on the Hammond B3 organ, one of the most influential musicians of our time. Now, were it just Booker T. Jones and three nameless, faceless schmucks, it would still be pretty badass. But make no mistake, uh, the remaining 75% of Booker T. and the MGs are not nameless, they are not faceless, and they are most definitely not schmucks. As a matter of fact, Booker T. and the MGs are kind of sort of like the Mount Rushmore of all that is funky and instrumental and chock full of soul. Nobody does it better than Booker T. and the MGs. Many have tried and many have come close, but it doesn't get any better than Al Jackson Jr. on the drums, Steve the Colonel Cropper on the guitar, Donald Duck Dunn on the bass, and the legendary Booker T. Jones on the Hammond B3 organ. Now, the song that we kicked off today's show with, Time is Tight, you probably know it. I know the very first time I heard it is when I heard the Blues Brothers playing it on SNL and when they did it in the Blues Brothers movie. And maybe that's the first time you ever heard it, but it is a quintessential show opener that many have covered, including my beloved The Clash. And we kick open today's show with Booker T and the MGs. Time is tight because today is all about soul music. Uh, As I'm recording this, it's February 27th, the penultimate day of the shortest month of the year. Uh, We are on the tail end of February, February also uh, known as uh, Black History Month. And we only did three shows this month, and I really didn't get a chance to properly honor Black History Month. We did a nice uh, feature earlier in the month on Phil Lynott of Thin Lizzy, and then we took a break because after doing nearly 40 weeks in a row since we phoenixed from a radio show to a podcast Just every molecule in my body screamed, I need a break. And we came roaring back yesterday, catching up on uh, new music from the Hold Steady and a bunch of other cool new stuff that piled up. But today, I really felt like it was necessary for us to wrap up Black History Month by honoring the legacy of three record labels that really just defined what soul music is and where soul music is going. So obviously we are going to spend some quality time talking about Motown. Uh, If you know anything about me, you know that as a quirky Jewish boy who was born in the Motor City, uh, Motown is the music of my people. I feel insanely lucky to have grown up in the suburbs of Detroit, to be steeped in that culture. And yeah, because I was knee deep in it, I had a tendency to sometimes take it for granted. But the the true gift is when I moved thousands of miles away, I was reminded of how awesome Motown was. And when I saw how people for, who people who, who didn't grow up in Detroit regarded Motown 
and having that realization that alongside of the Beatles, Elvis, and Bob Dylan, that Motown was one of the most influential, influential, one of the most influential musical phenomenon to occur in the last 50 some odd years. And to, to take a look and see how the rest of the world was affected by that makes me proud to be a Detroiter. And I've been lucky enough to visit the Motown Museum three times. And three times is not enough because every time I've gone, it's been a different experience. And I look forward to going there many more times. And I often joke, and it's not really a joke because I think I would do this. If I ever won the lottery, I think I would charter a jet, fill it with people I love, and take them to the Motown Museum. Because everybody needs to stand in the room, that tiny little room where all these iconic records were recorded. Everybody needs to do that at least once in their life. So today, we are going to spend quality time talking about Motown. We're going to be talking about and listening to Motown in the 60s when they were a pop dynasty and Motown in the 70s when many of the key artists of the Motown stable had evolved into true artists, artists with something on their mind. And when I say artists with something on their mind, artists who couldn't not be affected by the world around them. I'm talking artists like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. So aside from spending quality time with the music of Motown, we're also going to spend quality time talking about the other iconic soul label of the 60s, and that's Stax, also known as Stax Vault. Uh, whereas Motown was rooted in my beloved Motor City, Stax was the epitome of Southern soul, Memphis soul. And whereas Motown had a very distinctive sonic quality. Stax had a wide breath, whereas Motown was highly polished. Stax was gritty. Stax was not just soul. It was gospel. It was funk. It was so much more. And then we're going to spend quality time talking about the Daptone label. Straight out of Brooklyn, uh, a more modern effort, a label that has been around not quite as long, not nearly as long as Motown or Stax, has not had the household name recognition of Motown or Stax, but is carrying the torch and is continuing to make music that was inspired by Motown and Stax but has its own vision and its own eye on the future. So, with that, hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here weekly on NRM Streamcast. And right about now, you're probably not going, Greenberg, what's on the show today? Because I just told you. So, Motown, Stax, Daptone, all this... In much, much less, 
on today's show. We're going to kick things off focusing on Motown in the 60s. So to just kind of give you a little bit of a, a, a reference point here, Motown was founded on January 12, 1959 by Barry Gordy Jr., and it was originally known as Tamala Records. They were officially incorporated as Motown on April 14, 1960. They scored a whopping 79 top 10 records between 1960 and 1969. They moved to L.A. in 1967. And here's something that I guess I kind of already knew, but really just never really stopped to realize Motown was an independent record label until MCA bought them in 1988. Think about that. One of the most influential juggernauts of pop music was an independent label before indie labels were a thing. I let that sink in for a little bit last night and just like, wow, that's so cool. So they were bought by MCA in 1988 Polygram bought them in 1993. They were acquired by the Universal Music Group in 1999, and they spent much of the 2000s headquartered in New York. So that kind of gives you a snapshot of how horrible the music industry got as time went on, because Labels were consumed by other labels, just like the big fish eating the smaller fish, and then the shark coming along and eating all the fishes, and then a whale coming along and scooping it up. And so while the legacy of Motown is still strong, unfortunately, Motown as a viable continuing presence, those days are over. And that makes me sad. But, like I said... The legacy lives on. And the other important thing you need to know about Motown is you need to know about the Funk Brothers. Now, we were talking earlier on about Booker T and the MGs and how they were the mortar that held all the bricks together at Stacks. The Funk Brothers were that for Motown. And there were many more than four musicians who created that iconic Motown sound. Like I said earlier... They were all crowded together in a tiny little room. It's inspiring to be in that room again. Before you die, go to the Motown Museum. So just to give you an idea of who the Funk Brothers were, keyboardists Earl Van Dyke, Johnny Griffith, Joe Hunter guitarists, Joe Messina, Robert White, Eddie Willis percussionists, Eddie Bongo Brown and Jack Ashford, drummers Benny Benjamin, Uriel Jones, and Richard Pistol Allen. And last but not least, bassists Bob Babbitt and the legendary James Jamerson. James Jamerson may be the most influential one of the pack. As a matter of fact, back when I was playing music, I was in a band back in the 90s called the Jamersons in honor of the legendary James Jamerson, the man who has laid down some of the most legendary bass lines of all time. And, and why why is it important to know about the Funk Brothers? Because, like I said, they, they laid down the foundation for the Motown Nation. And I also highly encourage you to check out the documentary Standing in the Shadows of Motown. It's all about the Funk Brothers. 
and it features performances from a concert that was held back in the 2000 earlys at the Royal Oak Music Theater. And I continue to kick myself in the head for missing out on this because they were filming a concert to be used, that the footage was going to be used in Standing in the sh Shadows of Motown. And it was the Funk Brothers backing up a lot of contemporary artists. And it was an, a free event open to the public. They wanted to just get people in there as an audience. And I remember, I think it was a Wednesday night in Detroit, uh, early in the gear. And we had just gotten clobbered by a ton of snow and ice. And growing up in Detroit, snow, cold, ice, and wind chill were something that we just dealt with. And I remember going, oh, cool, they're doing this. That would be cool to go. But ultimately, I was just like, ah, I just don't want to like deal with like the treacherous roads, despite the fact that I lived less than two miles from the Royal Oak Music Theater. I could have easily gone. I could have easily been a part of this movie. And I said, no, I think I'm just going to stay home. And I kick myself in the head. But check out Standing in the Shadows of Motown, because you get a deep dive into the impact of the Funk Brothers. You get to see them in action, backing up a lot of contemporary artists. Plus, the great Andre Brower is the narrator. So, with that in mind, I'm going to shut up now, and we're going to listen to Motown in the 60s. And this song that we're going to kick things off with, I feel is like the national anthem of Motown. And I feel like this is a song that you should hear. It should be piped into the air or maybe through your, your car radio as you drive up 75 and enter the city limits. I know whenever I go home, in my head, I hear the fanfare that kicks off Stevie Wonder's Uptight. Yes, that's what you might say. 
to connect with us on social media. Number one, like Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay on Facebook. Number two, follow us on Twitter at Exile on E Street. And number three, like us on Instagram at Exile on E Street. Same as Twitter, making it extra convenient. Or if you want to kick it old school, drop us an email. Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay at gmail.com. A six-pack of classic Motown tracks in that last set of music. Wrapping things up with Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, the single released on September 24th, 1970. The Tears of a Clown. Smokey did a lot of things awesomely. And of the many writing songs with the word tears in the title, Smokey was a master. Uh, the tracks of my tears, the tears of a clown, and just from a just from a lyrical standpoint, tears of a clown was sophisticated beyond anything else that was on the radio at the time, and musically it was sophisticated. Just listen to that music. I'm like, if if the tears of a clown were an instrumental, it would still be awesome. And it's a fact that I often sleep on, and a lot of people sleep on but Smokey co-wrote that with Stevie Wonder and it makes sense when you listen to that music it totally sounds like something that Stevie Wonder would write so it was Smokey Stevie and Hank Cosby before that a song co-written by the legendary Ashford and Simpson before they were known as recording artists Ashford and Simpson were celebrated songwriters in their own right ashford and simpson of course co-wrote marvin gay and tammy terrell's ain't nothing like the real thing the single released on march 28th 1968 before that another classic motown songwriting team holland dozier holland they wrote a lot of iconic hits for motown one of them we heard right there in the middle of the set, The Supremes. My world is empty without you. A single that dropped about a week after I was born. 
December 29th, 1965. Uh, before that, another Holland Dozier, Holland Chestnut. Reach out. I'll be there. The four tops. I'm like, when it, when it came to just expressing heartache, but whether it was Holland Dozier, Holland, or Smokey Robinson, nobody did it better. Reach out. I'll be there. I'm like, I, I was once in a band with a guy who, who gave me the best piece of songwriting advice. And he's like, don't try to force the drama. If the song is good, the drama is inherently there. And that can be said of reach out. I'll be there. The song before that written by yet another legendary Motown songwriting team, Norman Whitfield, Eddie Holland, Eddie Holland, of course, one third of the Holland Dozier Holland songwriting team. The others being Brian Holland and Lamont Dozier. Uh, Ain't too proud to beg. Fun fact about Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And both Ain't Too Proud to Beg and Reach Out I'll Be There were both hits in 1966. Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Uh, From The Temptations, of course. Uh, Reach Out I'll Be There, of course, from The Four Tops. In case I forgot to tell you that. But let's focus on the fun fact about Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Uh, it is one of those awesome little production tricks that makes the song what it is. In the case of Ain't Too Proud to Beg, the lead vocal on many of the Temptations hits uh, were handled by Eddie Kendricks. In this case, the lead vocal was David Ruffin. Norman Whitfield, one of the song's writers, was producing the session And in order to really just amp up the angst, to really just wrench out that heartbreak, he bumped the music up a half step. So instead of uh, David just being comfortable reaching that note, he kind of had to struggle to reach that. So he really sounded like he was in pain. So when he kicked off the song with, I know you're going to leave me, you felt it. And I hope that I did not torture you too badly when I just sang there, but I felt like I really needed to make that point. Point being is a great producer knows how to get a great performance out of a great artist. So speaking of great artists at the top of the set, Stevie Wonder, back in the days when a lot of people referred to him as Little Stevie Wonder, a song that Stevie had co-written with Sylvia Moy and Hank Cosby. Of course, the name Hank Cosby, uh, that might be ringing a bell because he co-wrote The Tears of a Clown with Stevie and Smokey Robinson, and we talked about that a couple minutes ago. We kick things off with Stevie Wonder's Uptight everything's all right. Hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here weekly on NRM Streamcast, and with that, we shift our focus, and we travel south from Detroit to Memphis. And we're talking about Stax Records, founded by Jim Stewart and his sister Estelle Axton. Fun fact about the name Stax, you take the first two letters of Stuart and the first two letters of Axton, you mash them together, and you get Stax. And how cool is that? Because Stax is just an awesome name for a label. Uh, 
it was founded in 1957 as Satellite Records. They changed the name to Stax in 1961. And they shared operations with their sister label, Vault. You'll often hear people referring to Stax or Stax Vault. And back in the day, uh, in the primitive days of the music industry and radio and the weird relationship between the two, uh, people would go ahead and they would market records to radio stations. And it was a common practice for record labels to splinter into different labels. So radio stations would be like, well, we're already playing three stacks releases. We don't really have it. We don't really have room to play six, but if somebody is marketing th three stacks records and three volt records and the people at the radio stations are none the wiser, that's a nice little workaround to get all your records on the playlist so even back in the day people were shrewd so Stax was and remains synonymous with southern soul memphis soul and like i was saying earlier they they had a wide breadth of interest it wasn't just soul it was gospel it was funk it was blues and of course like i said earlier with Booker T and the MGs as the house band, they were virtually unstoppable. One of the most successful artists from Stacks at the height of their powers was Otis Redding. And after Otis's death in 1967 and their distribution deal with Atlantic was severed, they expanded their operations because they had to compete with Motown. This and a number of other factors led to their eventual demise in the mid-70s. However, in 1977, Fantasy Records acquired much of their back catalog, and they started signing new acts in 1978. However, by the early 80s, they were strictly known as a reissue label. However, there is something of a happy ending to this story. In 2004, Concord Records acquired Fantasy and Stax was reactivated. So not only are these classic records continuing to be curated in the manner they deserve, but new artists are being signed and recording under the Stax label, which is inspiring. So with that in mind, let's go back to March of 1966. One of the greatest soul singing duos to ever walk the earth. As a matter of fact, they may be the greatest soul singing duo to walk to have ever walked the earth. Uh, when you you look up in your Funkin' Wagnalls or your Miriam Websters under soul singing duos, hopefully you will be greeted by a picture of Sam Moore and Dave Prater, also known as Sam and Dave. Here's the song that put him on the map. Hold on, I'm coming.
by virtue of the fact that you are currently listening, you need no further assistance finding the Debts No Honest Man Can Pay podcast. However, your friends may need a little assistance. In which case, be a good friend and tell them they can find us pretty much everywhere you find such things. Places like Apple, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Castro, Radio Public, CastBox, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And while you're at it, tell them we archive every episode of the podcast, and they're conveniently found at debtsnohonestmancanpay.com, where they will also find every playlist of every episode dating back to April 2003 when we were just a mere mortal radio program. Regardless of where you get the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. We love it. With that, let's get back to the show. A six-pack of tracks from the legendary label called Stax in that last set of music as we honor three legendary record labels that define American soul music. We ramp things up in that last set with Isaac Hayes, the song that he composed for the 1971 motion picture Shaft. The theme from Shaft continues to be one of the most iconic pieces of music and film music ever recorded. When you hear that waka waka guitar, you know that it's the theme from Shaft or it's been inspired by the theme from shaft uh that was that single was released on september 30th 1971 and of course for you youngins isaac hayes was the voice of chef on south park so once again speaking to the multi-generational appeal of the late great isaac hayes before that the staple singers the legendary staple singers not only were they masters of gospel music, but they crossed over into the world of secular soul. And they're right there, if I may be so redundant, is proof positive. I'll Take You There was one of the biggest pop hits of the Staple Singers, featuring the late great pop Staples and the legendary Mavis Staples in every day that Mavis continues to reside on this big blue marble is a day that I consider to be a gift. Uh, the Staple Singers, and I'll take you there. The single was released in February of 72. Otis Redding, try a little tenderness. I don't know about you, but the very first time I remember hearing Otis's try a little tenderness was in the John Hughes picture, Pretty in Pink, where the, the legendary John Cryer, did a very convincing lip-sync version of that song. Uh, and funny thing about Try a Little Tenderness is that I always thought it was Otis's song. But no, this song was originally written by three gentlemen by the name of Jimmy Campbell, Reg Connolly, and Harry Woods. And the song dates back to, wait for it, 1932. 1932 kind of boggles the mind it was originally recorded by the ray noble orchestra and covered in 1933 by bing crosby i've never heard bing crosby's version of try a little tenderness but i'm gonna guess that it is far far away 
from what we know as the definitive version, that being of Otis Redding, uh, the single released on November 14th, 1966. Before Isaac, before the Staples, before Otis, Eddie Floyd, a song that the very first time I heard it was a disco cover back in 1979. Uh, A woman by the name of Amy Stewart had a very sizable hit with it, and I dug the disco version, but when I heard the original version by Eddie Floyd, I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why Amy Stewart needed to cover this, because it's one of the greatest soul songs of all time. As a matter of fact, back in the day when I was playing music, so you may remember earlier in today's show, I said that at one point I was in a band called the Jamersons as an homage to Motown bassist James Jamerson. We covered Knock on Wood. So uh, that just goes to illustrate how much classic American soul has made an impact on me. But I digress. So Eddie Floyd's Knock on Wood uh, was a hit back in September 66, co-written by Floyd and Steve the Colonel Cropper of Booker T and the MGs. And speaking of Booker T and the MGs, we heard them right before Eddie Floyd. Uh, most people know Booker T and the MGs from the song Green Onions, the biggest hit ever scored by Booker T and the MGs. And Green Onions is great, but I'm always going to go with Hip Hugger. Uh, that one in Sissy Strut by The Meters, two of the greatest soul instrumentals of all time. And if I were stuck on a desert island with just those two songs, I think I'd be okay for a while. So Booker T and the MGs, Hip Hugger, all four of the dudes had our hand in writing that. Booker T Jones, Duck Dunn, Steve Cropper, and Al Jackson Jr. At the top of the set, Sam and Dave. Now, I don't know about you, but the very first time I heard the music of Sam and Dave was when it was covered by the Blues Brothers. Of course, the Blues Brothers being John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, the first cast of Saturday Night Live. And Belushi and Aykroyd created these characters, the Blues Brothers, and they performed on SNL from time to time, and they would tour and they would play concerts. But you really need to check out the 1980 film, The Blues Brothers. Not only does it stand the test of time as a comedy but it features some top drawer performances by the likes of the late, great Ray Charles, the late, great Aretha Franklin, the late, great James Brown, the late, great Cab Calloway. So many awesome legends of soul and blues. Plus the band. You've got a lot of these dudes from the stacks stable in the band prominently featured in the movie. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is that Belushi and Aykroyd had a big hand in exposing me and a lot of other people of my generation to soul music and blues music that we were unaware of. So thank you, Jake and Elwood for that. The very first time I heard a Sam and Dave song was when the blues brothers covered soul man and had a really big hit with that and from there you know i i my my curiosity was piqued and the rest is history hold on i'm coming the song that we 
opened the set with from Sam and Dave was co-written by Isaac Hayes and David Porter. Not to be confused with Dave Prater. So Dave Prater, one half of Sam and Dave. Dave Porter, the songwriter who wrote for Sam and Dave. There will be a quiz. Hey, everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here weekly on NRM Streamcast. So we move forward from visiting the legacy of 1960s Motown, from visiting the legacy of Stax Volt Records. And now we are in the present and we are focusing now on Daptone Records. Daptone, straight out of Brooklyn, founded in 2001 and rising from the ashes of Desco Records, a record label that was founded by Gabriel Roth, who plays and produces and writes under the gnome de plume Bosco Man. And under both of those names, Bosco Man and Gabriel Roth, he is the bassist of Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings, and he is one of the co-founders of Dab Tone Records, along with Neil Sugarman. Neil, of course, plays tenor sax with Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings and the Sugarman Three, and Dab Tone was a label that was founded in Brooklyn back in 2001, and it was started as a studio called Daptone's House of Soul, a converted two-family house in Bushwick, which kind of is reminiscent of Motown, which was three houses on Grand Boulevard in Detroit. So it totally makes sense. Uh, Daptone, known for recording in analog. Uh, in the early days of Daptone, uh, the Dap Kings, Sharon Jones's band, along with Mark Ronson, backed Amy Winehouse on the Back to Black album and backed her on that tour. And of course, sadly, Amy is no longer with us. But uh, the musicians of Daptone have gone on to back so many different people. And there's this sense of... Whereas uh, Stax, you had Booker T and the MGs, and they were the house band. And with Motown, you had the Funk Brothers, and there were a lot of Funk Brothers. So you maybe had different variations of the Funk Brothers, but you always had the Funk Brothers. And that's kind of sort of the deal with Daptone, is you had a lot of these dudes who would play in different configurations, whether it be the Dap Kings, the Sugarman Three, uh, Antibalis, and, and we're going to talk about all these bands, but they all had a hand in creating all this awesome soul music that draws not only from Motown and Stax and other different elements, but continues to look forward. And we're going to go ahead right now and we're going to hit you with a six pack of tracks from the dynasty of Daptone Records. Uh, and unfortunately, some of the greatest artists who have ever recorded with Daptone are no longer with us. We've sadly lost over the past couple of years, Sharon Jones. And I highly recommend you check out the uh, documentary, Miss Sharon Jones. And of course, we unfortunately are no longer, uh, we no longer have with us 
the man known as the Screaming Eagle of Soul, Mr. Charles Bradley. And I'm sad I never got to see Charles before he passed. I'm lucky that I did get to see Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings. Uh, Would have loved to seen them again. But uh, Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings were my introduction to Dab Tone Records. So we're going to kick off this set with a track from an album that came out in 2010. April 6, 2010, the album called I Learned the Hard Way. It's Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and Better Things.
money, oh. Dirty money, not the fruit. Dirty, not dirty money, oh. Dirty money, not the fruit. Oh, yeah. Uh. The man go drowning in the river. He call his brother, save me now. His brother showed up in the copter. He tossed him going away, not the fruit. Money not the fruit. No dirty, not dirty money. Oh, no dirty money not the fruit. No the mango hanging from our window. They call him Uncle Benny now. Uncle Tossin rope of money. The money break, the mango fall.
tell you When the Lord Oh my Lord Get ready You got to to connect with us on social media. Number one, like Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay on Facebook. Number two, follow us on Twitter at Exile on E Street. And number three, like us on Instagram at Exile on E Street. Same as Twitter, making it extra convenient. Or if you want to kick it old school, drop us an email. Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay at gmail.com. A six-pack of tracks from the artists of the Daptone label in that last set, ramping things up with Naomi Shelton and the Gospel Queens. Their interpretation of Mississippi Fred McDowell's You've Got to Move. Uh, that version, a previously unreleased uh, version that originally saw the light of day, on the 2015 compilation Daptone Gold 2, which I received as a birthday present the year it came out, and it is an awesome uh, two-record set. Uh, before that, Antibalis. Antibalis, who uh, started life before Daptone, and then with their fourth record, they joined the Daptone family, and at one point were known as Antibalis Orchestra, Antibalis, uh, Spanish for bulletproof, and musically speaking, they took their biggest, or continue to take 
their biggest influence. From Fela Kuti, uh, from Antibalis, we heard Dirty Money. Uh, before Naomi Shelton and the Gospel Queens, before Antibalis, Son and Star. Son and Star are Sandra Williams and Star Duncan, and they they grew up in the same neighborhood, sang together, and were eventually integrated into the Daptone family as background vocalists for Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. In the context of that, they were often known as the Dapettes, but uh, they've also been recording under the Gnome de Plume song and star going back to the Daptone Gold compilation. Once again, their very first single, Hot Shot. So we spoke earlier about the instrumental prowess of Booker T and the MGs at Stax and the Funk Brothers at Motown, and the Daptone family has no shortage of funky instrumental ninjas, and at the top of the list has got to be the Budos Band. When you're talking about funky instrumentals, uh, the Budos Band are masters at it, and one of the best... uh, descriptions i've heard is that the budos band and i'm paraphrasing makes music that sounds like awesome 1970s tv cop show themes and they're not wrong but there's so much else going on there one of my favorite uh budos tracks though is what we heard in the middle of that set up from the south going back to their 2005 debut before that the man known as the screaming eagle of soul the legendary, late, great Charles Bradley, his album Victim of Love, backed by yet another awesome instrumental force of nature, the Menahan Street Band, Charles Bradley, and strictly reserved for you at the top of the set, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings from their album I Learned the Hard Way, going back to 2010 and better things hey everybody it's debts no honest man can pay my name is greenberg thank you so much for joining us we're here weekly on nrm streamcast moving forward to the last full set of today's show we are revisiting motown so uh our first full set of the show motown in the 60s establishing what made motown great and to just recap Motown really were at the height of their powers at the 60s and the 70s. They they kind of dwindled in the 80s, but uh, their legacy never has diminished. But uh, in the 60s, they, they were a dynasty. In the 70s, uh, many of the artists really shone as artists, uh, tackling topical issues of the day and getting downright psychedelic. And that's what we're going to focus on in this next set. And when, when you're talking about Motown artists speaking to the issues of the day, the conversation has to begin and end with Marvin Gaye. Whereas in the 60s, the name Marvin Gaye was synonymous with hits such as How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, uh, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, and a string of duets with Tammy Terrell, Marvin in the 70s. Marvin was like a phoenix, like the the butterfly that emerged from the cocoon. 
and Marvin was addressing issues of the day on albums like What's Going On, and uh, he was making some downright sexy music on albums like Let's Get It On, and I actually have both of those on one disc, and they're two great albums that you can listen to independently, and when you got them on the same disc, that that's a cool thing too. But Marvin was really concerned with speaking to the issues of the day and what's going on remains today as one of the most critically lauded and commercially beloved things that Marvin's ever done. I mean, like, here's a dude who at the height of his powers decided to get topical. And not only was it a critical success, but it was a commercial success. So uh, we're going to kick off this next set of music with the title track from uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, a song he co-wrote with Al Cleveland and Obie Benson of The Four Tops. Fun fact, those voices you hear at the beginning of the song, and maybe you've taken it for granted, but those voices you hear at the beginning of the song, it just sounds like a bunch of dudes getting together and enjoying a little bit of uh, fellowship. Those dudes, none other than a handful of the Detroit Lions. Here's Marvin Gaye and what's going on. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see oh, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, yeah, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's Simply 
Demonstration in a 
everybody thinks we're wrong But a mother, who are they to judge us? Mother, mother, simply call me sweet Where I hell on mother, mother
by virtue of the fact that you are currently listening, you need no further assistance finding the Debts No Honest Man Can Pay podcast. However, your friends may need a little assistance. In which case, be a good friend and tell them they can find us pretty much everywhere you find such things. Places like Apple, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Castro, Radio Public, CastBox, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And while you're at it, tell them we archive every episode of the podcast, and they're conveniently found at debtsnohonestmancanpay.com, where they will also find every playlist of every episode dating back to April 2003 when we were just a mere mortal radio program. Regardless of where you get the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. We love it. With that, let's get back to the show. A six-pack of tracks from 1970s-era Motown. Kicking things off with Marvin Gaye, the title track from his classic album, What's Going On. Uh, the song dropped on May, or the album dropped May 21st, 1971. Marvin co-writing that one with Al Cleveland and Obie Benson of the Four Tops. Following that up with another artist who scored so many hits in the 60s, but felt that he had more to say in the 70s. Stevie Wonder. One of his classic albums going back to 1973, Inner Visions, uh, a song Stevie co-wrote with Norman Whitfield, an epic clocking in at seven minutes and 23 seconds, living for the city. I remember listening to that when I was a kid uh, in in my house with the eight track player. And uh, when we discovered Columbia House Records and uh, mom bought a ton of Stevie Wonder and Barry White eight tracks and inner visions was in heavy rotation in the house and living for the city was one of those songs that I loved. And not only is it an epic, but what a harsh, harsh song. I'm like, you've got the song itself, the narrative of the song, just really just, just outlining the bleak reality uh, of what it, what it's like to grow up black in America. And then you've got that little, uh, that little play that unfolds towards the end, you know, outside of the song, that, uh, narrative of, uh, the, the guy who goes to New York and all of a sudden just finds himself one minute, just minding his own business. And the next minute he's incarcerated. It's, it's pretty chilling in that depiction there. Uh, ball of confusion in the middle of the set going back to May 7th, 1970. And here again, another Motown group who back in the sixties cranking out the hits, but in the case of the temptations, whereas, uh, Stevie and Marvin were addressing the issues of the time, not only were the temptations, uh, addressing the issues of the time, but they were getting downright psychedelic with the song called ball of confusion. So much so that, uh, love and rockets covered it. Uh, and here again was yet another Norman Whitfield Barrett strong composition. And we follow that up with yet another Norman Whitfield Barrett strong composition, the song called war, 
we heard the song that is best known, uh, the version by Edwin Starr. And, of course, Edwin Starr had a huge hit with it. And the song was originally recorded by The Temptations. Now, while The Temptations version was released shortly after uh, Edwin Starr's version, it was not nearly as impactful. And the long and the short of it is that uh, they were hesitant to release uh, The Temptations version because The Temptations, at this point, just had a huge fan base and they were uh, fearful of alienating some of their more conservative fans. Uh, Of course, the irony being is that uh, Edwin Starr had a huge hit with his version of War. Uh, We followed that up with the song that closes out Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. So in effect, we in that set treated you to the bookends of What's Going On, the title track, and Inner City Blues, Make Me Wanna Holler, probably one of my favorite uh, Marvin Gaye songs, a song that uh, Marvin had co-wrote with James Nix Jr. We wrapped things up with yet another track, from Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions. And here was Stevie at the height of his powers, playing most of the instruments and really exploring uh, the Moog synthesizer and just writing everything himself uh, from Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions. We heard Higher Ground again, much like Living for the City, a song that I have loved ever since I was a kid. And years before the Chili Peppers covered higher ground i thought to myself somebody needs to do a cover of that where they turn the funk up to 11 whereas stevie's version of higher ground is pretty damn funky but i felt like we needed one where you know that thumping popping bass really needs to be integrated into that and while the chili peppers version is pretty damn respectable if we're talking covers of higher ground i gotta give it up to the Blind Boys of Alabama with uh, Robert Randolph and the Family Band. That just absolutely cooks. However, Stevie's original version, we would not have any of these awesome covers without Stevie's already awesome original version of Higher Ground. Hey, everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here weekly on nrm streamcast and we are going to wrap things up much in the same way that we kick things off and we kick things off with an instrumental track from booker t and the mgs who we have established during this show they were the house band of stacks vault and the mount rushmore of instrumental soul music but you also got to give it up for the barquets while not nearly the household name that Booker T and the MGs were, the Barquets, pretty damn world-class badass in their own right. And here is the proof. We are going to wrap things up with the Barquets. And, well, it's not completely instrumental. There, There's a subset of instrumentals where it, they are 99% instrumental Uh, with the exception of a couple of words uh, shouted out as a chorus. And this is a prime example of that. We wrap things up with the Barquet's Soul Finger. And with that, everybody have a great week. Take care, be safe, 
and remember, the dogs on Main Street howl because they understand.